live from Utrecht. This is Bitcoin. Explained. Sure, I have horrible news. Oh my god, tell me. No one, zero people, a great nil, a great total of nil people use the promo code, code Schwarznado. From what I understand. That's unsurprising. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Shors. It either means we only have hardcore fans that already bought their ticket before we even g gave out the code. Or it means no one can remember your name. Or it means they use the other promo code at the end of the show that was spliced in by the editor. Oh, was there another one spliced in? Yeah. You, you listen to our shows. I sometimes do, but I didn't notice that. Oh, that wasn't easier. That one was easier to remember? Probably. Oh, okay, okay. That's that's a bit sad. Or just no one listens to our podcast. That's option three, I guess. No, I think some people listen because some people at the conference talk to me as well that they listened and that they read the book. Which book is this, Shores? Do you want to shill it? Yeah, it's a book I wrote called okay. Bitcoin, A Work in Progress. Very well. Shores, I have more horrible news. The Lightning Network crashed last week. I know we were both at Bitcoin Amsterdam, or at least maybe it was a couple of days before that. We were in full preparation of Bitcoin Amsterdam. Our mind was occupied, but the Lightning Network crashed. Did you hear about this? Uh, yesterday. <laughs> in, in preparation for this podcast. Exactly. Great. So I'm going to ask you all of the details. So uh, I know you've studied hard the past couple of hours to learn everything about this crash. And you're going to inform our dear listeners. Shores, what happened? Yeah, and I have to say, we were both surprised about how little has been written like more thoroughly. Maybe we couldn't find it, but we were expecting to find very large blog posts explaining everything that went wrong and uh, all the implications of that. Right. But so far, we only found a couple of tweets and a few fixes, though I, I think it's more important than people think it is. Yeah, either a blog post, some kind of post-mortem, or even sort of detailed conversation somewhere. Or But yeah, the only thing we could really find were some tweets. So either these discussions are happening somewhere where we're not aware of it, or maybe, uh, I, I don't know. Or maybe we can get them started. Let, let's see. So it's yours. What happens? Uh, basically, a lot of lightning nodes just stopped working uh, at a certain block height. And at the same time, there was somebody on Twitter uttering the words, oh, my God, I made this really cool transaction. Right. And then, you know, he got a lot of replies saying, oh, my God, you broke uh, L&D. Can we, can we mention, uh, do you have the link in front of you? Who was this? Yeah. He's called uh, Burak at BRQGO with two O's. Okay. So what did he do? What did Burak do? What did you do, Burak? I just did a 998 of 999 TapScript multisig, and it only cost 490 in transaction fees. Okay, let's start there. This and is about as close as, uh, oops, I accidentally killed it, as we have ever gotten on Bitcoin, even though he didn't kill Bitcoin. Uh, what was that again? Because I remember the term, what happened there? Oops, I accidentally killed it was about the uh, destroyed smart contract that contained, I don't know, a couple hundred million dollars worth of... Uh, reserves that was an ethereum right yeah and apparently somebody accidentally locked that uh, changed that smart contract into a state where nobody could touch it again right so an ethereum that happened where one of those like i wonder what this button does i really <laughs> hope this button doesn't do what i think it does no they must have prevented that from happening click oops yeah and then everyone who had their money their ETH in a smart contract basically lost their ETH. right that's what happened there like yeah. the ETH were frozen 
Okay, so it's not that bad in this case, luckily. Although, you know, it's still a problem, so we'll get into that. But first of all, so what did he actually do? You, you mentioned a 908... 998 out of 999. So it turns out with, with Bitcoin, you can do a multi-sig address, which means your multiple keys have to sign, and you can set your own threshold. So traditionally, you might say, I need two signatures out of these three public keys. Mm. But there was a limit to that based on, on various constraints, uh, mostly that the the way Bitcoin Core implemented the, or the way Satoshi originally implemented the multi-sig uh, check was extremely inefficient. And... That means that if you did anything more than, say, 15 or 16, it would just get become too slow to validate any of the blocks. But you could do it, technically? Like no, there what? was a limit on it. Uh, do Basically, you know what the limit was? I think was? it was 15 or 16. Okay. So a maximum of 15 signatures. and uh, So then you could do a 14 out of 15 or 2 out of 15? Something like that. Like and that, that might, might have even been like, yes, you can do 15, but you can only do 6 signatures out of that. So some constraint like that. Okay. Just to, to, It's not about the block size that it's using, but about the validation time going up uh, quadratically, I think, instead of linearly. Right. Okay. So that's the that, that's sort of the original multisig in Bitcoin, but that was improved, improved upon. Is that right? Exactly. It was improved upon in Taproot by making it much simpler. Basically, instead of having one opcode op called the uh, object multisig, it has something called object key or something like that. I forgot the name. But basically, you just tell it to check one key, tell it to check the next key, etc., and it would add, and then it just adds up the number. And so what he did was basically push that to the maximum and have ninety have this nine hundred and ninety eight keys in it. Okay, so that is the maximum, nine hundred and ninety nine. I'm not sure, but x out of nine hundred and ninety nine. I'm not sure. Okay. But it was big. It was much bigger than anything we've previously seen before on the blockchain. But it's perfectly valid under Taproot rules. So when you're spending such a thing, that means you need to put 998 signatures on the blockchain. I guess there are two options, right? Either 999 people have to all agree on how to spend the coins, in which case it looks like a very regular one out one sick, because that's what Taproot does, right? If you were to use music, yes. So if you use music to create a sort of one uh, key out no, of no, those no, 999... No, that's not what I'm referring to, Shores. With Taproot, you can you always have the option that if everyone in the contract agrees, then you should be able to just spend the coin, the UTXO, as if it's a very regular transaction, right? You have that so option. So you don't have but to reveal what the actual conditions were under the hood. Ideally, yes, but that's not... You still have to do that yourself. You have to use software to create that joint signature. And that requires something like music. So it's not something... Taproot doesn't solve it for you. Taproot just says you can have one signature... Mm -hmm. which is just one public key, mm -hmm. as far as the Bitcoin core nodes are, uh, as, as long as validation is concerned, it's just one one public key and one signature. But you could have made it using a million keys or whatever you want. Yes, but in order right. to do that, you need something like music or some other algorithm to to make that combined signature. At this point, I'm confused. I'm not, are we talking about the same thing? We might be. Maybe I'm just... We might be. So in Taproot, you have two ways to spend... Because I was something else. But uh, yeah. yeah, go on. So in Taproot, you have two ways to spend coins. One is to provide a signature for the... Uh, basically, the key path, as it's called. And that's just a public key, as far as the blockchain is concerned. Yes. And the other way is to satisfy a script. Now, in order to, to make that key, that public key, you have to make that public key yourself. And you can use all sorts of ways to combine different public keys into one... One of them is music. So music is just a way to combine signatures, regardless of how you use it. You don't have to use it in Taproot. Okay. I get, 
I'll believe you then. I thought these were two different things. Sorry to our listeners who already knew this, that we had to go over this again, but... Uh, That's fine. Th- thanks for clarifying, sure. Yeah. Okay, so, but in this case, the option that was used was not music. And by the way, when I say music, I don't mean a song. We mean... How, you mean how do you spell it? Yeah, with a g sound, not with a C sound. And it stands for multisig, I guess, right? Just short, or what does it actually stand for? I have for? no idea. We're, we're getting off the track anyways. Yeah. So he didn't go for the music option. Music option, he went he for... He went for revealing... Individual signatures. Now, of course, yes. any of these individual signatures could be a, a 100,000 uh, multisig, right? Or it could be to th- th- right. through music. We don't know that. The blockchain doesn't care. It right. just sees 998 signatures. Mm-hmm. Now, each signature is uh, 64 bytes. So this was a very large transaction. This was, I think, a megabyte or something. Some, something bigly. Mm-hmm. And so this is no problem because um, you can make these uh, taproot scripts can be as big as you want to. Now, it turns out that with SegWit 0, the old version of SegWit, they could not be as long as you want to. There was a limit of, I think, 10,000 uh, bytes. Uh, and this probably had something to do with the way multisig was implemented in in all the versions of Bitcoin, but I'm not sure. Okay, hang on. So with SegWit, there was... What were the original SegWit, the first SegWit version? Yeah, I mean, Taproot is technically SegWit 1, but to make it easier, yeah, with SegWit, which is SegWit 0. Right, yeah. There was a limit. There was a limit on how big transactions could be. How big the witness could be. How big the witness could be, okay. So those signatures, you could only fit a certain number of signatures into the witness, namely 10,000 divided by 64, which is some number less than... uh, less than what he was doing today right so this would only be revealed when you're spending the coins right yes okay exactly so so then so then technically just to finish that thought mm-hmm. the, the reason i ask is so that would mean that it would be possible to receive coins that you can then never spend i mean you shouldn't you you determine on what conditions you receive coins of course in segway you couldn't make such a multi-sig anyway so that that wouldn't be an issue but yeah, it's possible if you could send so many coins using a set of conditions that the only way to satisfy that is to put too much stuff in the transaction, namely more than 10 kilobytes. Right, yeah. And so maybe what you can do is, you know, one multisig can only do 16, but I think you can just do one multisig and then do another multisig and another multisig and another multisig and say all of these multisigs have to be satisfied. And then you can have as many transactions as you want and then you can satisfy it. Yeah. Anyways, we keep being distracted. Stupid idea, but you can do that. Let's try to. This is my responsibility. We're gonna stay on the track, sure. So, Segwit zero, the original Segwit had a transaction size limit, taproots or a witness limit, witness size limit. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, Taproots does not. Taproot transactions do not have this limit, right? Yeah, either it doesn't have a limit at all or it has a very large limit in the order of megabytes. Right, so now it's possible to create a big transaction like this one, like the 998 signatures out of 999. Yeah, so you're making a very big input of a transaction. And now this is not a problem for Bitcoin Core nodes. It's also not a problem according to the rules of Taproot. However, BTCD had an implementation mistake. So we should explain what BTCD is. Yes. BTCD is another implementation of Bitcoin, essentially. There are a couple of implementations. There's LibBitcoin, there's Bitcoin Core, there is Bitcoin Rust, although I don't know if it's a full implementation. There is... Bitcoin, I don't know if Yeah, Bitcoin is in, in, in JavaScript, I mm-hmm. think so, yeah. There's a bunch of them, and some of them implement Taproot, others don't. And this 
Basically, all these nodes implement consensus code from scratch. That's always a risk. Though I think libbitcoin will actually use the Bitcoin part of the consensus code. But in any case, they, they've all implemented themselves, so they all have to be very careful to make sure that they copy everything in the spec or everything, every bug that's in the Bitcoin Core source code, otherwise problems happen. And in this case, in BTCD, uh, was incorrectly checking that this thing was less than 10 kilobyte because that was a rule for the this old version of Segwit and not right. for the new versions of Segwit. Mm -hmm. And so it would simply reject the whole block because it thought the, block, the transaction was invalid. And so it would just freeze at that cool block. Right. So BTCD was applying a rule that really only applied to SegWit. Let's keep it simple. It applied to SegWit and it was applying it to Taproot. Is that... I'm yes, simplifying, exactly. but that's basically what happened, and, right? And slightly you know, been, uh, under the hood, BTCD has at least two places where it checks certain rules. One is when it receives a block over the wire, and we'll kind of get into later what receiving over the wire means. But basically, when it receives a block from the, from another peer, it does some preliminary preliminary checks on it. And then once those checks are passed, it goes to a full validation check. Now, that full validation will happen even if you feed the block manually, if you copy-paste it or something like that. But these preliminary checks only happen should only happen when they receive the block over the network. And it was those checks that were enforcing this 10 kilobyte limit on all versions of SegWit, essentially not just on SegWit 0. Because the way Bitcoin Seg SegWit has been designed is there's multiple versions of SegWit, and if if the version number is more than zero, then in the beginning, you would always approve the transaction. It would always be spendable. You would simply not check any rules, including rules about size limits. Yeah. I, so I, I would propose from now on, let's just say SegWit and Taproot, even though technically it's SegWit 0 and SegWit 1, right? Yeah, in Just this to case, keep it because, simple. because this this is it's about the witness, and every version of SegWit will have a witness, but the rules for that witness will change for every version of SegWit. So with regular SegWit, there was a limit of ten thousand, but there was no limit defined for any other version of SegWit. Yeah. So so it turns out this. Okay, uh, so BTCD they did the same check kind of twice, and you mentioned that the first check happens when they receive it over the wire, and then you said we'll get into that. So let's yeah, get and into presumably, that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, and presumably uh, they check it again in the check code that checks the consensus, and there they were probably doing it correctly. Mm -hmm. So in the code that really you know once they've received the block and put it in their own database, it might say okay, is this block actually obeying SegWit? And then it would do it correctly. It would say what's the version of SegWit? Okay, version number zero. Okay, that's the limit. Or if it was taproot, it would check some other limit. Okay. Yeah. BTCD is an alternative Bitcoin implementation. However, we were talking about Lightning. So how does this tie in with Lightning then? Yeah. So first I'll describe sort of an imaginary scenario because I don't think this actually exists in the wild or at least not very often. Let's say you're running LND, which is the uh, Lightning implementation built by the same people who also built BTCD. Right. So that's Lightning know. Labs, right? Yeah. Now you can use Lightning... LND using different node software. If you were using it with BTCD, then this bug would very clearly occur because yes. your BTCD node is talking to other nodes on the network, might be Bitcoin Core nodes. It sees this block, it receives it over the wire, and it says, this is wrong. And then it stops syncing. You, you still haven't explained what over the wire is, by the way. Yeah, just over the internet, okay. something like that. Yeah. So it, was, you know, it, it basically rejects it that way. And then how would this impact Lightning? Your Lightning node wants to see all the new blocks in order to make sure that its channels are still okay, that nobody's trying to cheat on it, etc. And so if your Lightning node is not seeing any new transactions anymore, it's going to get 
increasingly unhappy. At some point, it may even be talking to its peers on the Lightning Network, and its peers are saying, no, 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 there are much newer blocks than, than what you're talking about. Why don't you follow the newest blocks? And maybe the peers will say, hey, the fees have gone up. Why don't you increase the fees on the uh, on the penalty transactions? Because Lightning Nodes will constantly renegotiate uh, what the penalty transactions should be, etc. And But your node is saying, no, 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 the blockchain hasn't moved. Why are you talking about these higher fees? And at some point saying, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to disconnect from you. I'm going to close all the channels now. And so some people on the internet were reporting that they were seeing their channels getting closed by the other side because of some some miscommunication because their node was basically stuck. And and that can cascade of course if if lots of nodes start closing the channels at the same time. Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what. Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even normie plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero-management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Okay, and yeah. So, the, so we were explaining, or you were explaining, that if LND uses BTCD to read the blockchain, to get the blockchain, then the problem is obvious. And then you hinted at some problems. Yeah. But I, you were. So do all LND nodes use BTCD? Is this a requirement so for LND? I think they, they do under some circumstances, and they don't under others. So generally, most people, I think, run Bitcoin Core as the node. However, if you're running a mobile app, then you may want to not download all the blocks from your mobile app. You want to use these filters, BIP158, neutrino filters that we talked about in some other episode. So those filters basically give you a quick summary of the block, and then you only request the blocks that you want. And that also, under the hood, is BTCD. So what's possible on a mobile app is that your BTCD node on the mobile app will get stuck because of this. Because it, it because the mobile app will fetch a block, it will fetch the magic bad block, because you happen to have asked for that one, and then your mobile app will stop too. But that does not really explain what we saw people remark. Because people were complaining that, first of all, they were complaining that their node stopped, their lightning node stopped, and I don't think a mobile app would necessarily stop, but maybe it would. But they were also complaining about channels getting closed. And mobile apps tend to be very patient in this stuff. Like you can have your, your, I don't know, your Phoenix wallet or Breeze wallet or whatever. You can ignore it for weeks and it'll start annoying you, warn you, but it generally doesn't start closing channels on you. So that doesn't seem to be what's going on. When people have forced closes of their channels, I think they're actually running their own node. They might be using something like Umbrel or something. And at the same time, today I saw on Twitter... On October 10th, Umbrel said, hey, guys, there's a new update. Please, you know, f uh, install this hotfix because there's a problem with Lightning. So then my question is, why would Umbrel nodes have a problem with this? And this is where I would have loved to have re read, read a good postmortem. 
because now I have to guess because I don't know exactly how Umbrella works. But as far as I know, software like Umbrella uses Bitcoin Core to download all the blocks. So when when people say over the wire, I I would assume that the wire is Bitcoin Core receiving blocks from other nodes out there. And Bitcoin Core doesn't have this bug. So then the question is, why are we still running into this bug, even though we're using Bitcoin Core to validate the blocks? You know, the, the Lightning software shouldn't be doing extra consensus checks. So this is where I think what's going on is that on your little node, you have Bitcoin Core running and you have LND running. But LND under the hood uses bits and pieces of BTCD. It just uses some of the building blocks from BTCD. And one of those building for, blocks... For example, for Neutrino. Yeah, for Neutrino. And then, again, there's two sort of paths that I would imagine could have gone wrong. One path is that the node, uh, the LND software, is talking to your full node, not directly, in a sense. It is talking using these filters. So it might be asking your node... It, so it's on the same device, but your LND software is asking the node for the filters on the same device. And then given the filters, it's asked the node for the blocks. And those blocks are still going over a wire. Even though the wire is inside your own computer, it's still a wire from the point of view of the software. And so then it would also run into this bug where the block briefly goes on the wire from your Bitcoin Core node to this little piece of, of BTCD, really. And so right. that's that's a problem because you, you don't want to have these extra... Val you don't want to be reliant on some other implementation than Bitcoin Core for your uh, consensus checks because there could be other bugs in there. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that it's it's even different there. It Maybe LND talks directly to Bitcoin Core and just asks for every block, which would make sense. I mean, Lightning Nodes, if it's on the same machine anyway, it might as well just ask every block from Bitcoin Core, just in raw form. And that could also still be interpreted as if it was going over the wire. So maybe it was still running those same checks, even though there was nothing going, going over a wire. Uh, in any case, somehow some of the BTCD consensus code is, you know, network code, but network is kind of, you know, important for consensus too. Somehow it's getting run, even though you're not running BTCD as the node, which is kind of worrying from an architectural point of view. Because again, in general, other implementations than Bitcoin Core can cause problems when they have even the slightest different interpretation of what the rules are. Uh, right. Okay. So we so to summarize that, we know what the bug in BTCD was. What we're unsure about, and we've tried to look for it, is why it affected the Lightning Network, or to the extent that it did why it yeah. affects lnd nodes why it, why it why it affected nodes even though you'd think they were not running btcd at least not the full version of btcd right so that's that's an open question i think we've we've postulated some possibilities yeah. i would also observe if someone that, has the answer let us know let us know we'll mention maybe, it maybe the by the time episode. this airs it's already been explained by somebody and they're like oh you guys are wrong you didn't read this post it's because you wrote it after we recorded it so one more thing is that i think some people framed this as a taproot related bug but it really wasn't because i work on this other project called fork monitor which is by bitmax research and fork monitor checks different nodes to see if they have any problems uh, compared to each other and because i was also busy with the conference i completely ignored what fork monitor was doing but it actually turned out that fork monitor the btcd node on fork monitor was also stuck at this magical block or one block before the magical block 
uh, but just nobody noticed it. Or maybe people did notice it and, and told me about it, and I ignored it anyway because I didn't know there was this, this drama going on. Busy partying in Amsterdam. Exactly. Yes. That has to happen. But basically, this particular node on Fork Monitor has not been updated for a while because I was being extremely lazy. It was running a very old version. Uh, actually, it was running a version that was from before they had Taproot support. So the node that stopped did not support Taproot, which means this bug is not related to Taproot at all. And in fact, somebody could have triggered this bug before Taproot was even created. Depending on when the bug was introduced, probably when Segwit was introduced, I'm guessing this, this check was written when check Segwit was introduced. So right. this, this bug has been sitting there for like five years. But then someone would Perhaps. have had to make a Segwit version 1 yeah, section before there was a Segwit version 1. Yes, right. but that's possible. And sure. we've talked about this in the earlier episode about accidental hard forks or you know what is a hard fork or what isn't a hard fork. You can use features that don't exist yet in Bitcoin Core. And the thing is, you're giving away your money, but you can give away your money in a way that you know causes other nodes to crash or causes half the Lightning Network to crash in this case. Yes. Or maybe not half the night. I don't know how big the explosion was. This is why I'd like to see a post-mortem. Like how many nodes actually went down because of this? Right. Yes, me too. And so to, to uh, are we done with this part? Are we done with the speculation part? Yep, I think so. Okay, so then I guess to sort of close this off, and you did allude to it already a little bit, but what is actually the problem or or the harm or how does this affect users, so to say? Because I would assume that at least initially a lightning node would actually continue to operate like normal, even if it's not on the latest block, because it doesn't require blockchain confirmations to make transactions or to forward payments, right? Yeah, so but a lot of right? it depends on the internal details. I think one of the tweets I read was saying that load nodes couldn't open new channels or close them, which you think should be possible. Right, because you don't need to wait for a new block to close a channel. But there may be some implementation detail that causes those two things to depend on each other, even though that's not intentional. So that's that's not really related, I guess. I mean that's that's more of a matter of robustness. Like what what does a node do when it stops syncing? Does it you know, what does a lightning node do when the underlying node stops? That that needs to be thought through a bit. Because one of the things that could go wrong is let's say somebody's trying to cheat on you, and then it depends on all your settings. If if you set things that it waits for a month and you can punish the cheater for a whole month. Then, you know, as long as you figure out there's a problem within a couple of days and upgrade, you're fine. But let's say you've really tightened all the screws to maximize your, your fee revenue or whatever. And you've set it so that if you don't respond within 12 hours, let's say, now let's say 24 hours. That's a bit of a better example. Let's say you don't respond within 24 hours and somebody can cheat on you. That means you meet, you need to make sure your, your lightning node is not down for 24 hours. Yeah, now, so to just to clarify this real quick, anyone who knows a bit about Lightning knows this, but maybe some of our listeners don't. So the idea with Lightning is that you're updating the balance between each other, people have balances with each other, and what's stopping people from out from broadcasting older channel states where they get more money than the latest channel state is that you can respond by basically taking all of the coins, right? I, I think so, I, at least from a, the a, a fair chunk of it. Yeah, so it's a deterrent. Yes, it's a deterrent. However, in order to see if someone is broadcasting an old transaction or if someone is trying to steal from you, you kind of need to know what's going on on the blockchain. So if you can't see that, you can't respond and then someone can steal from you. Yeah, That's the problem you're explaining here, right? Exactly. Now, 
to add some nuance to that, the, it doesn't have to be in the blockchain. You can look at the mempool. You know, we've explained the mempool in earlier episodes. Typically, your mempool is set to 300 megabytes. That's the default on Bitcoin Core. Hang on, you say you can look at the mempool, but... You can I... see if somebody's cheating by looking at the cheat transaction inside the mempool. Yeah, but you can't see it with your eyes, right? And I, so I would assume that software is written in a certain way. Like, do they look yeah, at so, the mempool? Yeah, so that's, or do that's they another look... question I don't know the answer right. to. I think it would be wise if your lightning software checks what's happening in the mempool. I don't know if that means it should immediately respond to it. Maybe that's that's overzealous, you know, because maybe it was a mistake and the other side corrects it with, you know, bumps it into a, a non-violate. I don't know what the game theory is there. But if we run through this example, let's say, so let's say your node is no longer catching up with blocks because some exploit caused it to stop. It caused it to stop syncing uh, new blocks. Then that means you will see transactions appear in the mempool and your mempool will get very big very quickly. If it's two megabytes per block within... 150 blocks you have a full mempool and any new transaction that comes in is probably going to be ignored it's kind of overflows depends maybe it's paying a high fee or maybe not that means that's about a day 150 blocks so that means if your timeouts are set to about a day you could be in a situation where somebody's cheating on you that transaction is in in other people's mempool but not in your mempool because your mempool is already overflowed through the debug yeah and because there's no new blocks coming in from your perspective so everyone every every transaction just stays in the mempool so yeah so so unless yeah. you have a giant alarm system you might not even know that this is going on and you've already been cheated but let's say there is a big alarm system uh, then you have another problem because you still have this one day deadline so even though you know there's a problem uh, you can't act because the node is broken and you don't know how to fix your own node because you'd have to be able to write consensus code so if there's not a patch within that 24 hours you're still in trouble so that's kind of one of the things I would be worried about here. Now, that's not a problem if you set the timeouts to something more reasonable. But uh, yeah, if you're reliant on somebody making a hotfix within 24 hours while you're on a plane, it's not good. So, you know, maybe this is completely exaggerated, but I'm just trying to illustrate why these things could be bad. And why uh, I think well, it's good I to mean, have a good postmodem on thinking th and in general thinking through all these scenarios. And maybe uh, the Lightning developers are thinking through all those scenarios. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it might be a hard attack to pull off or a niche risk, but you've got to think about this, right? For yeah, sure. I think yeah. so. Okay. Uh, what about routing? Would routing be affected? I think routing was affected. I'm not sure how, but I think there were less routes available, I guess, because nodes could were could be the same down. reason. It could be that the node says, hey, I'm too far behind the real world, or like I'm not seeing any new blocks. So generally nodes have a heuristic, at least Bitcoin Core has a heuristic. I think that if you don't see a new block within two hours some alarm bells go off internally. It tries to make more connections. Perhaps Lightning Software has similar things that after a few hours of no update, it says, you know what? I'm not sure what's going on in the world. I'm going to stop forwarding payments now. So maybe it just refuses to forward any new payments until it's it's up to date again. Things like that could happen. Right. Uh, so so that would definitely be cause some systemic effects where you would certainly find that all your routes are not working or a lot of them because some of them are running as a piece of software that's that's down. Yep. Okay. Sure, is that it? I think so. Yeah, I think, I think so too. So uh, clearly this was a little bit of a guessing episode or speculation, informed speculation, how you want to call it. We're, we're trying to figure out what went wrong and we weren't exactly sure and we've, we, we weren't really finding the answer we were looking for. So again, if anyone knows more than us, let us know. 
Maybe we'll cover it in the next episode. Who knows? We'll, we'll definitely mention it in the next episode. I don't know if we'll do an other, a whole other episode about it. But please let us know if you know anything more. Uh, Shors, is lightning still reckless? I, it depends on what you're doing. I think generally it's fine. Such a nuanced answer. Just say yes. Reckless. Lightning is reckless. Everyone's reckless. That's what we want to hear. It's not too bad. I mean, okay. Bitcoin is still an experiment, right? So uh, I guess that's all. Then uh, thank you for listening to Bitcoin. Explained. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.